Turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. We started a new series a couple weeks back called Reality Checks. And so last week we moved on to the next subject of our reality checks called being a man. Never have I seen so many men who declared they were a man but not act like one. Just because you can grow a beard doesn't make you a man. And just because you're older, and I'm talking about like traditional definition of men, by the way, not like what your liberal professor or TikToker says is a man. I'm talking about like traditional men. That man just got to be clear because nowadays this next generation that thinks they're so much smarter than us, uh, they're not really sure what a man is. So we're talking about being a traditional man. When you're traditionally born a man, um, what does it look like? So one of the spiritual principles we hit upon last week, and I thought we'd just touch on it and move on, and then with my Thursday night Bible study, we spent the whole hour looking at it again, and I can tell we're going to spend a couple weeks here. And this isn't just for men. This is for men and women. If you have a pulse, this spiritual principle is for you, so I want to make sure we cover it over and over again until you get it. Because uh, in many regards, uh, even your private life will benefit from this, and all your success is based upon it, and all your failures will be based upon the short-circuiting of it. And it's very simple. It's just this concept of domain or dominion and authority. When you talk about a dominion, you're talking about a domain that you have authority over. So if we use the two terms properly, we'll say a domain and authority. Everywhere you go in life, you will be defined by some kind of domain, some kind of boundary, some kind of barrier, and then the authorization that you take with you there. All authority comes from God. And there's really only two ways to get authority in life, no matter where you are, whether you're sitting in Moses' seat like the Pharaohs did, or you're sitting as a king or a dictator, or you're sitting as an elected official or a school teacher or a husband or a child. All authority comes from God, and it comes by only one of two ways. You either submit to obtain authority, so by submitting to authority, you can obtain authority because they'll delegate it to you, or you steal it. And lawless people like to steal authority. You can hear it in our society when people say it's better to get forgiveness than permission. Don't ever let that be your heart. That's wicked. It's a total post-hippie ideology. It's a feminist ideology. It's a woke ideology. It's mama sneaking stuff from dad ideology. It's a little insurrectionists on the job sneaking stuff behind their boss ideology. But never let it come out of your mouth or even be in your heart. Well, it's just easier to get forgiveness than permission. What you're saying is I'm going to steal authority and do what I want. And if I get busted, I'll just apologize and get forgiveness. But if I don't get busted, well, they'll never know. That's such lawlessness and God will not promote you. Plus, it's, it's a step in the same vein as so many of your dictators who steal their authority, like Putin right now, or Idi Amin, or Pol Pot, or Hitler. These men stole authority, and that's what makes you a dictator. A Jezebel steals authority in her home from her husband, and that's what makes her a Jezebel. Teenage brats steal authority from their parents. Rebels, rebellious children, steal authority, do stuff without permission. That's what makes them rebels. When you are lawless... Law enforcement has to be called into your life. Then you're put into the penitentiary where you learn penitence for your lawlessness. 
These are pretty simple concepts. Those you can see laid out concrete. When you're lawless and you break the laws of the land, the law enforcement is called on you. Don't make me call the law on you, as we used to say in this country. The law enforcement comes and forces the law with shackles. You go and stand before a judge because mom and dad failed to do their job or you failed to listen. And the judge drops the gavel and he sends you to the penitentiary where you learn to repent for your lawlessness. Pretty simple. So there's only two ways to gain authority, submit to it and be entrusted with it or steal it and suffer. All your dictators went to hell. There's never been a single born-again dictator. Because all these guys with their tyranny and their tyrannical rule, they always destroy life. And so you can't ever say there's a successful dictator. They all go to hell when they die. Because Christians are not lawless. Christians obey the law of God. So we're talking about this domain. What is your domain? And what is your authorization? So we'll ask a couple questions and we'll go back and review the story of Adam and Eve because this is the very first scenario we see in the Bible is this concept of domain and authorization. So one of the things you've got to get used to doing is everywhere you go, figure out whose domain you're in and who's the authority there. And if you're in that domain, what is your domain within that domain? And what's your authorization under their authorization? Our Constitution protects these basic rights. You can tell this liberal leftist movement right now is purely from the pit of hell when any constitutionalist who knows the Bible can also see how the Constitution enshrines the law of God, spiritual law, not just the Old Testament law, in that possessions, nine-tenths of the law, you have illegal search and seizures. Why? That's coming into my domain and you're not authorized. You can't force me to quarter soldiers. Why? That's an infringement of my domain. You don't have the authority to. These are all of our constitutional rights, the right to keep and bear arms. That way you don't infringe upon my domain with authority you don't have. So much of our constitution is about this concept. And this isn't a class of constitutional law because I'm not a constitutional expert, but the principles are so simple. And yet your destruction will always come when you violate domain and authority. So we live in the United States of America. That's a big domain. We live in Tennessee. That's a subdomain. It's a state within the United States of America. And these roads are either county roads, city roads, or state roads. There are federal roads. It just depends on whose jurisdiction and whose tax dollars repairing them. So that's the domain. But in my car, that's my car. That's my domain. You can't pull me over without due cause. But my authorization is I'm allowed to drive on the correct side of the road, the right side of the road, at the correct speed limit, obeying all the laws, and I'll be left alone. Cops don't pull people over unless they're asking for it. Every time I've been pulled over, which is a lot, they always had due cause. I treated them with respect even if I had a gun bigger than theirs. Amen. Because I got nothing to flex. I just want to go home, just like the police officer. I don't know why I'm dealing with this tonight, because I want to get to Genesis. I just want to go home just like him. I'm the one that's in the wrong, not him. He just, he just, it's his authority to pull me over if I'm breaking the law. And if he doesn't use his authority, he's in dereliction of duty. So why would he become like me? 
Why would he become lawless, refusing to do what he's authorized to do? Because I'm not obeying my authorization. So don't make it harder on cops. I thank God for them. There are some bad ones out there, just like there's a bad everything out there. Do you know there's bad presidents? We've kind of been in a good run of those lately. There's bad politicians. There's There's bad pastors. There's bad school teachers. There's bad everything. So yes, there are bad cops. That doesn't mean we go shooting them. Amen. Amen. So we got to understand this concept of domain and authorization. So it's the county's road, though my taxes pay for it. I'm authorized to drive on it, but your 14-year-old is not. And I'm authorized to drive my vehicle because if I broke into somebody else's, that's illegal because that's not my domain, nor am I authorized to open it. So I can drive on it, but I have to stay within the authorization. I can't speed. I can't drive through somebody's field. I can't cut donuts in the Walmart parking lot. There's a strict set of rules. And it's not legalism. This is just the social contract that we live under, whereby we live under moral law and order. Otherwise, it's the Wild West. And the Wild West, some of those cities like Yuma, they had uh, higher murder rates than modern-day Chicago. And Chicago has a no-gun law. There's something about that culture up there. Boy, they love killing each other. If abortion doesn't get them, shootings will. And that's a Democrat-run city. Has been for 50 or 60 years. So we're talking about being a man because part of being a man is understanding domain and authorization because men were made first, not to be misogynistic, just to be biblical. God made men first. That was what he wanted to do. And men are the head of the home. So one day a boy will grow up, be a man. He will marry a woman, a sister, because you don't marry pagans. He will lead about a sister, make her a wife. He'll have to lead her and his domain will expand. The problem is we don't understand dominion or authorization anymore. And we're trying to start families, lead wives and have businesses and careers. And we don't even understand how to have the domain and dominion over our own mind, will and emotions and our own flesh. So this is one of these problems. Do I deal with the chicken first or I deal with the egg first? Do I deal with what it is to be a man or go back to parenting and tell us as parents, we've got to teach our children, not just boys, but girls, what is their domain? What is domain and what is authorization? Because everywhere you go in life, you're going to be in somebody else's domain under somebody else's authorization. And they might extend some of it to you to acknowledge some of your sovereignty, but ultimately you're under somebody else's authority and you're in their domain. Even with my property out there in the country where I live, I'm still under the county jurisdiction and I'm still under the state jurisdiction. I'm still under America's jurisdiction, even though it's my property. And I can put no trespassing signs up, but if I break authorization, they'll come on me with a police squad and they'll have every right to. No matter where you go, you're never fully free. Even, okay, so I'm the top dog in this church. I'm the pastor. I'm the president of the non-for-profit. Uh, I have a board of elders, a board of directors, and I have a pastor. But I run everything around here, basically. My name's on everything. My signature's on everything. I make most of the big decisions around here. So I'm the top dog here, but I'm still under city ordinances. We can't do anything out here around here without pulling a permit. We have to make sure we have our, uh, our finances right with the IRS. We have to make sure we pay the utility bills. We have to make sure that we uh, uh, obey all the ordinances. Even when we do landscaping, we have to make sure we don't plant plants that get too big that 
blocks line of sight. We have to submit with how we plant trees around here. Isn't that crazy? So there's no such thing as pure freedom because you wouldn't like it if somebody pulled that on you either. And we like to say it's a free country, but there are sure a lot of laws that we have to operate under to enjoy that freedom. Lawlessness just wants to destroy all of it. A lawlessness says, I'll do what I want, when I want, as I want. Who are you to tell me what to do, mama? And unfortunately, a lot of moms and dads will bend over and let that child go with that sin nature and bring forth total damnation to their little soul. So go to, you're in Genesis chapter 1. We looked at this last week. Let's review it again. I've been pulled over a few times. Usually it's for speeding. I don't do anything else dumb. And I've been pulled over, just throw this out there, multiple times with a gun on me because I have a carry, carry permit. And I used to drive all the time with a gun somewhere. Every time I've been pulled over and told the officer with respect, because you're supposed to tell them, here's my permit, here's my carry conceal permit. I have a loaded Glock. It's under the front seat or it's on my hip or it's in my appendix case. Uh, it is not chambered, but it is loaded. And, you know, the cop looks at me and says, okay, hands me my license, I'll be right back. And usually I can get out of a ticket. Usually. <laughs> By showing them respect, apologizing, and being very polite. I have never had a cop freak out on me when I told them I had a loaded weapon on me. Because they just want to go home. But when you cop attitude, you reap what you sow, stupid. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And if you don't win a stupid prize, don't be stupid. I have never had a cop even bat an eye at the fact that I told him I have a loaded pistol right here. All right. Because I treated him with respect. I acknowledged I was in the wrong and I gave him what I wanted back, which was respect. But if you don't get respect, give respect. Why would you get any? There's something dysfunctional, arrogant and pompous when you demand something you don't give. Because remember, we're spiritual people. We go by the law of God. You reap what you sow. And when you sow dishonor, disrespect, and chaos, you're going to reap it in spades. The Bible says there's a multiplication. You sow the wind, you reap a whirlwind. Amen. Furthermore, just use some common sense. You don't pick a fight with somebody who has more bullets. And more firepower. I may have a Glock, but he has his Glock and a shotgun in his truck or a squad car and an AR-15 in the trunk because they all carry him now. And he's wearing a bulletproof vest. I'm not going to win that. So why would I even try? Except my culture taught me to. Culture destroys civilizations. And any culture that's lawless will destroy and cannibalize itself into non-existence. Any culture that promotes lawlessness has been infiltrated by demons. Now, that's not a fair statement because every culture has demons in it. But lawlessness is the spirit of Antichrist. And you'll never be promoted. You'll never see God's hand without obeying law. He is the lawgiver. And the Bible condemns this thing called lawlessness. 
So there's something wrong with any culture here, there, overseas, that lawlessness is promoted. You always have innocent bloodshed, and life will always be cheap among a lawless culture. I've been to a lot of third world nations. They're typically pretty lawless to some degree, and life is very cheap there. People die on the streets, and nobody seems to care. People get run over. They just leave the body in the street. They just don't seem to care. But when there is law, there's order, there's value. And so this is one of the reasons we need to look at and understand law, domain, and authorization. Genesis 1, we looked at this last week, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. The word dominion there is to rule or to tread down, to subjugate to bring under control, especially by conquest. That is the dominion we've been given us. Now, Adam and Eve's dominion was over the whole earth, and it was over all creation. There was yet no governments, because there's nothing to govern, but over all creation, they have been given the authorization to tread down, to rule, to subjugate, to conquer. This is why I don't feel bad when Vietnamese people eat dogs. It's part of our subjugation rights. That's why... I don't care if the Inuits want to kill whales and eat them. I don't have a problem with the Italians eating cats like they still do in some places. Anything you want to call a fur baby, somebody else is eating and giving thanks to God. Now, there are those things human beings eat that I'm sure the Lord says, did not see that coming. Did, 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 not, did not think they would do that. <laughs> of course, he knew they would. And then Paul comes along. He probably saw the same thing going, mm. well, as long as you give thanks to God, who am I to judge? That's what he said there. <laughs> All things are to be uh, eaten as long as there's thanksgiving. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. That's a different word. It means to use force, to keep, uh, to keep under, to enslave and to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl there, over everything that moveth upon the earth. So we see this term, these, these terms, dominion, and to dominate, to subjugate, uh, to subdue. So that's the authorization. So God speaks of the authorization and the dominion in one verse, the whole earth, and what's he authorized over? All the creatures. They're not authorized over angels, just everything that's made every creeping thing on the earth. So then God comes along. He makes a garden. Man is the only thing that's made so far. And he sets man in the garden. That's not the whole earth, but there's a garden now. So he's almost like compartmentalized man's domain, set him in a garden. We know the garden was enclosed because once they were kicked out, this angel's put there at the gate. They can't go in anymore. So now we have a tighter domain. It isn't just planet earth, but it's a garden. Who knows how many acres? Maybe it was an estate. Maybe it was like a national preserve. Maybe it was just someone's big farm. We don't know. But then there's further authorization over this garden is to keep and to tend it. That's his job. And there's two do's, what are called positive laws, and then one negative law. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, of good and evil. So do tend, do keep the garden, do not eat of the fruit of that knowledge, uh, tree of knowledge, of good and evil. So we see the Lord setting up this pattern for man that stands today, that every human being is given a domain and then authorization. And this is how the kingdom works. The word kingdom means the king's domain. 
And even when you're dealing with the kingdom of God today, even the word kingdom in the Greek has no application whatsoever to territory. It's the right and authorization to rule over that territory. So everything we're doing today in our learning, in our stewarding over domain and authorizations, this is preparing us for the millennial reign of Christ where the Lord will be able to say, you were faithful over a little bit, I'll make you ruler over five cities. That's a domain and an authorization. If you can't grasp the concept of domain and kingdom or authorization today, you won't have much in the kingdom that's to come. We have a kingdom that is now, Jesus said the kingdom is within, and, and, and we're walking in the kingdom of God, but there is a heavenly kingdom coming. We understand that in eschatology, in the millennial kingdom. If you don't understand domain and authorization today, you're not going to be entrusted with any domain or authorization in the millennial. That's why it's so critical. Plus, you're probably going to suffer all of your natural life because all of natural life is based upon your ability to recognize your domain and then the authorization given you there. There isn't anything you can throw at me that we can't put into this uh, construct of domain and authorization, whether it's backpacking. That's national park territory. That's what you want to do. The, the, the government owns it, but they'll give you a backcountry permit and you are allowed to go backpacking anywhere that you're signed up to. And if you get off the trail, you're in trouble. If you burn down the forest, you're in trouble. If you go fishing without a permit, you're in trouble. If you kill a bear, you're in trouble. You have a limited domain. Stay on the trail, stay on the campsites. Don't forage for wood. Pick up dead wood. What you pack in, you pack out. Take only pictures, leave only footprints. That's what they say. And they hug a tree along the way. There's, this thing goes on and on everywhere you go. On your job, you have a domain. This is your workstation. I authorize you to build widgets at this workstation. What about that workstation? That's none of your business. You stay here. <laughs> you just hired on last week, what in the world could you possibly know about that workstation? Well, a know-it-all will know all there is to know about that. Anybody here like a know-it-all? Know-it-alls are the worst people on the planet, except for Democrats. That's not fair. There's some good Democrats. I don't know any, but I'm sure they're out there, along with the good Republican. The two of them are hanging out somewhere. The know-it-all, ooh, he has no idea what his domain is. It's also called a busybody. And he or she thinks they're authorized to tell everybody everything they know, which is why they're called a know-it-all. But really, they are know-it-nothing. They're kind of a know-it-all, do-it-nothing. And these people don't advance in life. What we need are folks who learn their domain, understand their authorization, then master that domain and wait for the promotion to come. You've got to learn... Just through common sense. Teach your kids how to do this to figure out who's in charge everywhere you go and what you're permitted to do there. This is how the kingdom works. This is how the church works. This is how your job works. This is how the classroom works. When Adam and Eve failed to exercise their authority over their domain, they didn't Number one, exercise dominion over that creeping thing that creeped into their garden and talked to them. And then they, they violated the do and then they violated the don't. They were demoted. And this will always happen in our life. If you can't master your domain and you can't steward your authorization, you'll always be demoted. And what you've been given will be taken from you and given to somebody who can do a better job at it. 
When you look at somebody who has gone nowhere in life, what you're looking at is someone who's never mastered domain or authorization. Because when you do, you won't keep that person down, whether they're educated or uneducated, whether they're a woman or a man, whether they're red, yellow, black, white, it won't matter. If they can master domain and authorization, promotion will call them up time and time and time and time and time and time again. So we got to be judging our lives. Am I stewarding my domain? Is it mastered? Have I mastered my domain? And have I maximized the authorization which the Lord has given me to steward that domain? Because the two have to go hand in hand. The Bible says for wives in the book of Ephesians and Colossians, submit to your own husband. Not every woman wants to submit to her own husband. She wants to submit to somebody else. That's a lack of understanding on domain and authorization. Same on your job. You can want to do your boss's job. You can want to correct your teacher. Homeschool kids are horrible for this. Now, we, public school's got its issues. Homeschool's got its issues. One of the wonderful things about public school is that everything in a public school is set up into domains and micro-domains. Now, I say this because we're like 90% homeschooled now, and some of our kids are the worst. I get complaints about them from our children's workers, and they tactfully don't want to complain because they're elders' kids or they're the preacher's kid. Or they're this department head's kid. I don't care whose kid they are. Thump them. So public school, because I was raised public school under the Reagans, praise the Lord, just say no in the 80s. You went off to school and you got on the school bus and you sat in that seat. Otherwise you got in trouble. So you learned domain and authorization. You were permitted to open or close your window and you're permitted to sit down. So from the moment you stand, and mom and dad said, you stand at the end of our driveway. This is so foreign now. You stand at the end of our driveway. We're going to work an hour before you go to school. You stand at the end of that driveway, and you don't have permission to go anywhere else. Because if you come inside to pee, you may miss the bus. And I'm not coming for you. And you'll get a demerit. And you get enough of those, you go to jail. They just threaten you. So here you are, you know, like seven. This is the 80s, man. It was a wonderful generation. Right, Frank? seven years old. You're standing next to a 17-year-old. You're going to ride the school bus together. And there's mutual respect because you knew your domain and you know if you got in trouble, the whole neighborhood would kill you. <laughs> your mom beat you. The other kid's mom would beat you. Somebody driving by, see a kid getting beat, want to get in on the action, beat you too. <laughs> that was domain and authorization. So you get your little bus seat and then you got off your bus and you knew to go straight to class. That's what you were permitted to do. That was your authorization. You didn't diverge. You went straight to homeroom. For me, I had Mrs. Black or I had Mrs. Shelburne or I had, I can't remember all their names. And then you had your seat and that was your domain. And you were authorized to do next to nothing there, except put your stuff in there, get your paperwork out. Then you had a cubby. That was your authorized domain. You didn't mess with anybody else's cubby. We were taught this. Public school kids understand domain and authorization. Homeschool kids well, they have no respect for mama anyway. They learn English hanging upside down off their couch, wallowing on the floor, crying. I don't ever remember seeing school kids cry in public school. I've watched my own homeschool kids throw their mother a temper tantrum. My wife will call me, what I do? Beat them. It's what happened to us growing up in public school. 
That principal had a paddle this long. You, th- you know, he got it out of his frat house. You know he did. <laughs> and they'd wear your bum out. And you were ashamed to be sent to his domain. You, you were good just to have the school teacher's domain over you. If you messed up and you broke authorization or protocol or domain, you were sent higher up the food chain. And that shark was an apex predator and he'd wear that bum out. And so they call your mom, your mom come just watch. Get them two or three more for me. And that's how it went. And then you shuffled. Now, I honestly, I never got spanked in school, but I had friends that did. You shuffle back to your classroom, shuffle back to your bus. Even though your mom was there to watch you get spanked, she went back to work. You had to ride the bus home. Frank's nodding his head. He had a good mama. You rode your bus home. You sat in that seat. You were ashamed. You didn't even open your mouth about it. You didn't run the principal down. You didn't run the teacher down. You didn't run your classmates down. You were ashamed. You didn't give anybody any lip because you knew your domain, which is I'm a child and I get uh, six inches of permission around me everywhere I go. That's all I get. And you knew your authorization And this is where our homeschool kids miss it. This is the complaints I get back in children's church. Our homeschool kids don't know how to talk to adults as adults. They think they're equal. Now, this isn't all of our homeschool kids, but this is some of them. And you need to remind your kids you're not equal. You're a child. I made you. You have nothing but I give it to you. You can't even stop eating boogers yet. You can't even clean up your room yet. So you're never going to talk to an adult like that again. Amen. It might be good for us homeschoolers to ask our children's workers, is my kid one of those ones pastor is preaching about? And then just take them home and spank them biblically. Amen. Amen. While we still have that freedom before we become like Canada, that nation that produces what for the world? What does Canada do for the world other than snow and donuts? Tim Hortons, eh? That's it. That's all they do. Ah, there's a couple good mines up there, like gold mine, the Divec mine. There's a big diamond mine in northern Canada. That's about all they produce. What else has Canada given the world except a big apology? <laughs> all right. Genesis 4, 7. Once Adam and Eve neglected their domain and, and misstewarded their authorization, things have to shift. Demotion comes. The curse enters, sin enters, and now the Lord has to tell Cain this. He says, if you do well, shall you not be accepted, that is to do things joyfully. And if you don't do well, sin lies at the door, and unto you shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. Now, one of the domains we have that we have to teach our children is dominion over sin. Sin wants to own you, but you have to dominate him. You have to rule over him. So this is the first authorization you see apart from gardening outside the garden because he said, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to labor and eat your food, your bread the rest of your day. Here's the second authorization, not only just to eat. You now have authorization over sin. You start teaching your kids that when you smack their little hand and you tell them no, no, and you teach them how to restrain themselves. So we got to understand what our domain is. And beginning with parenting, it is your child's body and your child's mind, will, and emotions. That's where all of our domain starts as human beings. Even if we're living in a pagan nation somewhere on the back world of somewhere else, 
you still have dominion over sin. And sin wants to possess your body through the sin nature, and sin wants to possess your soul through mind, will, and emotions. So here's the first place we begin to be a man or just a responsible human being. We learn to have dominion over our body. Your body is your body. God's going to judge you for it, but it's your body. So there is your domain. And that's why mom and dad teach you not to eat sugar late. Mom and dad teach you to go outside and get some exercise. Mom and dad teach you to put up that video game or put down that iPhone. Or we grew up, move away from that TV, boy, you're, you're going to ruin your eyes. Boy, get up there and turn the channel. Well, dad, that's why I was, get up there. We were the remote growing up. And we just had to sit close, but you couldn't sit close in front of it because I can't see, boy, move. So then you kind of scoot to the side. Boy, get back. You're too close. So then you scoot back. And then dad say, what's on the next channel, boy? So you got to scoot forward again. So we always just sat Indian style, hunched over within arm's distance of the clicker. Click, 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 click. Actually, it's a much deeper, like, dug, 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 dug. And then, and then they invented Fox back in the day. So we had Fox 43, but then you had to click to you, gunk and then come down here and just roll through 43. You young generation are like, was this when they built the pyramids? And now you're like, hey, Siri or Alexa, stream some movies for me. This is why we're the fattest generation ever. Churning channels in my day burned calories. You got a core workout. You got a tricep workout. You got dexterity. Then dad tells you, move back. Boy, I need, what's on the next channel, boy? Move back forward. Man, we were doing somersaults, walking on hands, turning channels. And now we're just like, oh, Alexa, uh, play me a movie. Make me feel better. Huh. I feel sorry for this generation. You start teaching children, you have control over your mind, your will, and your emotions. You start teaching children, you can control your body. You ought to be teaching your children at a young age how to control their emotions, their fears, help them walk through it. Don't just yell at them and say, toughen up. Help them process it. Help them understand there's nothing to be afraid here. Let's go pet this goat. This goat is a nice goat. Let's go pet this cat. This cat is a nice cat. Let's go see this grandmother. She doesn't really as mean as she looks. She does look like a mummy that we built back in the pyramid days. But let's go see Granny. She's not as weird. or She does smell funny, but that's all right. Let's go see her. You have to help your kids process this so they can realize there's nothing to it. And they'll always remember how mom and dad taught them to process their emotions so that one day when they leave, because they're supposed to before they're 30, they remember how mom and dad process things. They'll process it the same. But that's their domain. I can't, I can't beat depression for anybody. I can't beat paranoia for anybody. I can't beat suspicion. That's your domain. I can teach you how to use your authorization to do it, but if you don't do it, you're sunk. And I can't help you lose weight or discipline your flesh or help you beat bad habits or addictions. That is totally your domain. All I can do is teach you how to do it, what it looks like, and maybe lay some hands on you with some anointing oil, and there's a demon get you set free. But that's about all I can do. But if you don't maintain that deliverance, and maintain authorization over your domain, you're sunk. All promotion is based on this concept, and your children, as they learn it, they start to earn promotion within the home. You trust them to take out the trash. You trust them to help with breakfast. You trust them to pick up their room. You trust them as they get bigger and they want to help, you're teaching them how to help. 
You're teaching them how to do laundry. You're teaching them how to fold clothes. You're teaching them how to pick up their room. There's some, I was thinking about this. I don't think you should allow your teenager or their 10-year-old to decorate their room the way they want to and first until they can demonstrate they know how to clean it up. If they can't keep a clean room, they've earned no privilege to personalize that room. I think that's a pretty fair trade because what you're, you're going to do is raise up somebody who lives in a dump the rest of their life. And so you need to teach your children, clean up your room. If you can maintain a clean room for two months, we'll let you hang a poster up. You maintain it for two more months, we'll let you put some kind of lamp out there you like. And if you're a really good girl, we may go buy a new comforter for you. But don't reward laziness. That's bad parenting. As they grow, they begin to recognize they have domain over their toys. And they're authorized to take care of them. And we don't break them. And, and they even recognize, that's my toy. Give it back. They didn't ask if they could have it, Daddy. And now they have parents interceding for children, fighting over little political squabbles over, that's my doll. No, that's my doll. You said I could play with it. No, I didn't. And they're learning to work out dominion and authorization. And when they get confused, they call mom and dad in to mediate and play Switzerland in the whole deal and broker a deal. Amen. You should be teaching your kids this because there's coming a time when you unleash them on the world. And if you're still like wiping their nose and wiping their rear end and picking up after them, you have sent them out to sink. And then there's the spiritual authorization. Teach them how to cast down vain imaginations. Teach them how to speak to things that go bump in the dark. Teach them how to speak to storms that maybe make them nervous when it thunders and lightnings really loud. Your kids ought to be growing up as they learn confidence in their domain and their authorization. We talked about last week when a kid's six, eight, nine months old, they can sit up outside of a bumbo and you put them in a high chair. That's their domain. And as they grow over the next two years, because they're usually two or three before they get out of that high chair, that you permit more authorization with what they're able to do at that high chair. At first, they just sit and you just give them a passy and you give them Cheerios, most of which end up on the floor everywhere. Some of them end up in their mouth. Some of them get stuck to their forehead or their cheek. But then you start to trust them uh, with solids, but you've got to feed it because you don't trust them with a fork yet because that becomes a catapult or a trebuchet that they throw spaghettios across the kitchen with. But once you finally trust them, then you upgrade their authorization. Still the same domain. It's the high chair. And then you get excited when you can take the bib away because most of the food ends up in their mouth and not on their shirt. Some of you know how it is. You just Every time we eat, just put the kid in there naked. It don't matter. You're going to get hosed off anyway because that's just the messy kid. <laughs> we don't even believe in bibs. We don't even believe in diapers at this stage. We're just going to hose it all down when we're done. But the kid proves authorization worthy, and you let them have their own sippy cup they can hold. You let them have their own spoon they can hold. And before long, you can trust them to sit at the big kid's table with a booster. And for some adults, that's where they stopped advancing because they've not gone anywhere further for God or in their own hygiene did you guys, especially you men, women don't like men that smell like wildebeest. You should take a shower more than once a week. Now, I've done a couple mission trips to Mexico, and down there we could only bathe once a week if we chose to. And, when you, and they, didn't, they had a baño on a concrete pad, and there was a hose and a tin bucket. And you filled that bucket up with the water from the hose. But when you turn the hose on, leaves came out and some grass and the water looked like old Chinese tea. 
<laughs> and that's what you bathe in. And you look at that and you think, I'm cleaner now. I don't, I'm like, yeah, I did do, take a bath in that once. So some of you boys, men, uh, part of being a man is using the authorization on these domains <laughs> and cleaning them more than once a week because nobody wants a stinky dude. There's no reason. But you know what? Nowadays, we got girls that are just as stinky. And I don't get that because that's a total violation of divine design. Like how shiftless is a girl raised that she bathes once a week too? I mean, you're allergic to water. You like the wicked witch. You're going to turn to a pile of steam and top hats if we bathe you. Nobody's allergic to water. How did that gene survive? <laughs> throw you in a lake and cure you of it. No. So part of, part of growing up is recognizing, again, your body is a domain. So you take care of it. You're authorized to take care of your body. You are authorized to take care of your body. When you grow up, you got to take care of your body, then teach your kids how to take care of their bodies. Parents, teach your kids how to take care of their body. Ephesians 6 tells dads they're to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's a Greek word that implies bodily training. As uncomfortable as it may make you feel, I believe dads should talk to their daughters about sexual things. I believe if they'll hear it from their dad, their dad will be the first source. And if you'll recognize God made it all, the kid has no concept of what any of it is. It's not a sexual taboo to them because they don't know what sex is or a taboo. If they hear it from dad and your, their daddy tells them, sweetie, you're a woman and one day this is how sex is going to work, but we save that for marriage, that will stick in her little soul the rest of her life. If dad shows he's allergic to that kind of talk because he's weird, because his parents were weird, she'll always be embarrassed to bring those kind of things to her mom and dad. And I can tell you as a father of two girls, I want my girls to bring me that stuff. But it says nurture, which is bodily training. That's our job as parents to teach our little boys and our daughters how to have authority over this body God has given them. That's their domain. It works also when you're authorized to lose weight. You should teach your kids how diet works, not dieting, but how dietetics works and how to take care of their body. We have so much knowledge now. There's no reason we should have fat kids. We have fat kids because we have lazy parents. And kids are a reflection of their parents' appetites. There's no reason for this. I understand we have different builds, but you can't say, well, I'm just big bone because the, the cliche says, well, bones don't jiggle. I understand being bigger boned, but bones don't jiggle. Fat does. You're authorized to have dominion over your body to keep it in shape. Just like you're authorized to have dominion over your mind to keep it sane. And if you don't do it, nobody else can do it for you. I can't lose weight for anybody. I can't beat depression for anybody. You have to learn your authorization. And these domains, thankfully, start small. They start with my high chair. They start with my bedroom. They start with my toy collection. They start with my bathtub time. Then they start with my backyard. Then they, then they move, and now I'm allowed to go to the park. And I'm allowed to ride my bike, but dad has to be around. And then I'm allowed to ride, allowed to ride my bike around the neighborhood without dad. And the, the domain expands as we find them trustworthy. Same with our life in Christ. 
If God can find you trustworthy over the domain he gives you today, um, Zechariah told Zerubbabel, don't despise the day of small beginnings. If God can find me trustworthy over this little domain, he'll expand it. If I can prove faithful if the authorization he gives me, he'll expand my authorization. This is why no company starts their employees off at the top. That would be foolish. Somebody texted me just now and said, can I discuss an accurate age, an appropriate age to discuss intimate things uh, with my daughter? It's an excellent question. I was 10 years old when my mom, a nurse, talked to me about sex. My mom, being a nurse, was very comfortable. It was very medical to her. My dad, being an engineer, was probably a little more awkward for him. But my mom had also just taken care of the first AIDS patient in our city, and she watched him die. This is 1985, 86. So she was very eager to teach me the birds and the bees. And, you know, my daughter's 10 now. I have not had a thorough, in-depth discussion. We understand puberty. We understand hormones. We understand menstruation. We understand that breasts will develop. We understand pubic hair will develop. We haven't gone so far in some other things yet, simply because my daughter is sheltered in that regard. And um, she's not around public school kids, uh, which are certainly more sexually knowledgeable at a younger and younger and younger age. Though on one of her sports teams, her 10-year-old friend and her 12-year-old friend came out as bisexual with girlfriends. And that's not something you want to be discussing with a 10-year-old on her sports team. But then again, they both had cell, cell phones, smartphones. And my daughter said, well, one of her friends showed me the picture of her girlfriend on her phone. So I got a 12-year-old in this town that's got a girlfriend at 12 showing it off on her smartphone. That's all kinds of level of lunacy. So, so my mom's discussion with me, I still remember it because she came in the room. I was playing G.I. Joe. And I had them all set up. I had a big G.I. Joe collection. Man, we were taking over the world. We we're going to beat Cobra. And Mama says, we want to talk. She breaks out the big Merck manual of the human anatomy. The thing's bigger than the family Bible, every diagram. And so I learned about sex and homosexual sex. And I learned about the current, at that time, working theory for where AIDS came from. Because if those of you that were alive and adults in the 80s, you remember what a freak show of fear what a, I mean, it was a pandemic and it was killing homosexuals. And then, then, then folks thought, well, it was just getting the gays. And then straight folks started dying of it. And they realized this is a virus and how, how does it come about? And didn't realize it was all the gay bathhouses of the 70s. Um, and then jumping into HIV or uh, intravenous drug use and then promiscuous sex. And then from there, it got into kids because of blood transfusions. I mean, it was just a mess. So they were scrambling. I remember this as a 10-year-old, my mom being a nurse. They were scrambling to figure out the cause of it. So I remember looking at this cross-section of a man's body and looking at here's the testicles and here's the penis and here's the rectum. And my mom talking about anal sex and about they were convinced in those days that HIV was created by people having sex with monkeys. So she said, we don't have sex with monkeys. I'm like, well, okay, I'm just now learning what sex is. So note to self, we don't do it with monkeys. All right. I got, I got a base to defend over here, man. Cobra's mounting an attack, and we're talking monkey sex. It's messed up. But this is love. 
So then, then we go from monkey sex to gay sex and rectal tears. And, you know, you're like, I'm 10 years old. And um, yeah, it's a bit much. It's a little heavy. By the time we get to heterosexual sex, you don't even care. You're like, I don't, we're not having sex with nothing. <laughs> you start on the food chain and work your way up. So that might be a big extreme. It was HIV. People were dying. It was in People magazine all the time. My mom had just been like the sole nurse to actually touch this man who was dying of AIDS because everybody was terrified of it. And so uh, I, it was a new discussion for me. We could certainly, I'm sure public school kids know about it much younger. Um, I've talked to our educators on a regular basis. Most of our middle schoolers have had sex now, not in this church, but in our region. Usually by the time they're eighth grade, they've had sex. What, Dr. Shayla, 60%, 70%? She's saying 70% of her middle schoolers have had sex by the eighth grade, so that's 13. So uh, I don't think there is a, a sharp line where you need to discuss it with your daughters, but it needs to, you got to start just talking about it. They need to know what their body's going to do, and men can't be embarrassed about it. God designed their bodies. It really is a creative miracle how bodies work. I mean, how does, how does the body know to start producing testosterone and estrogen? How does the body know we start to grow breasts now? We start to do this now. We start to lower the voice and grow whiskers and hair in places. How does the body know that? And this is sexual maturation. I think you start talking about this when they show interest. Uh, for us, our girls being around gymnastics and, and being on teams with girls that were developing brought questions. Um, I think you probably 10, 11, 12 is definitely the time, especially if they have questions. We're already having to have discussions about homosexuality, lesbianism, and transgenderism. I'm already talking to my kids about transgenderism. Uh, it's just the day we live in. So I think every kid's a little bit different. I think uh, because we are spirit-led and we should be in tune to our children's needs and where they're at mentally and soulishly and emotionally, I think you'll know by the Spirit of God it's time to have that talk. I think certainly before they have their first period if we're dealing with children, girls. And uh, yeah, I've learned this especially traveling to Africa so much and seeing their cultural mores and the lack of taboo about nakedness just because the culture is different. Um, I learned that if I don't make a big deal out of it, my kids don't make a big deal out of it. If I just say, this is a matter of fact, this is how God made it to be, then this is how it be. My kids do know babies come out of tooties. And the first time we discussed the fact that, how does the baby get out of your belly? And I just looked at them and said, they come out of mommy's tootie. And they were like, what? I said, yeah. They said, how was that? I said, all right. You know how like poo-poo comes out your booty? Yeah. Babies come out mommy's tootie. And you could just see that little mind spinning. But how? Everybody's been asking that since the garden. How? It is a miracle. We giggle about it. But really... That's how all of you arrived here, unless there was a cesarean section, but you still had to be pulled out of that body. So the real question then becomes, but how did the baby get in there? And that's when daddy has said two or three times now, oh, it's late. We will shelve this discussion for later. <laughs> 
when I'm ready to have this discussion because I don't think it's time. We must all be in agreement for this discussion, and we're not all there yet. <laughs> I think you'll know. I think you certainly start discussing with children what their bodies are going to start doing to get them prepared. Uh, it can be very tragic or even horrifying for a young lady to understand her body's going to start bleeding once a month for five, six, seven days. That can be very traumatizing. But if you'll discuss it with them and let them know this is how God made your body to work. This is how you begin to create life. This is how your body reproduces life. This is how your body sheds oldness and brings about newness and teach them the creation and the miraculous of it. They'll be excited about it because I got one kid that's excited about it. And I think that's messed up to be excited about this. <laughs> and I'm this thankful I'm a man and my body doesn't do this once a month. So I think, I guess my wisdom is you got to watch closely. Don't let it be a friend that teaches them. Don't let it be a friend in church that teaches them. You be the one to discuss it. And maybe you practice that discussion by yourself in your car driving somewhere to just rehearse it several times so you know how to talk about it. There are books available on it. Uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a book Mama gave me to read to Lydia, and I didn't skip the part Mommy skipped every time she read it, but she didn't tell me that. Don't, don't read this part. We're not ready to talk about that. And I think that was the part about the baby coming out the tootie. And I just read that, and that's when everything... The brakes screeched and we went off the rails and there's like, what? <laughs> yeah, mm, I think I just made a daddy uh-oh. <laughs> but you take everything to your children and they'll bring everything to you. And if they see you flinch at a subject, they'll smell weakness. <laughs> they'll want to know what else you're hiding. But if you can just play it off like, yeah, that's just how it is. You're going to bleed once a month. One day, man's going to make love to you. You're going to get pregnant, and, and you're going to grow a big belly for nine months, and then labor pains are going to come, and it's going to hurt like fire, and then the baby's going to come, and it's a cycle of life. Just play it straight, and then see if they need therapy after that. <laughs> cycle of life. Lord of mercy. Can I move on now? I got two daughters. I'm, thank you, Frank. You just let, I really believe, of course, Ephesians says it, let daddies, fathers, nurture, train your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Nurture them, develop them. You teach them bodily care. There are things my wife does with our daughters because I'm not going to do it. I don't think it's appropriate, but the knowledge can come from daddy. I'm the scientist in our household. I know how the biology works. I'm the grand poobah of our home. I'm the big man of the house. The knowledge come from me. Let mother teach them how to deal with that monthly administration. Because I'm not going to be in there doing that. No. And other things I'd like to say, no. I'd like, I'm not going to be there when my wife deals with that. Be on the other side of the house. Right? Men? Amen. Yeah, yeah. I'm uncomfortable, Pastor. Uh, I'm about to faint. Oh. And it isn't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right, so you got to help your children learn all these domains. Coming back, that's we, we teach your children. You don't talk to adults that way. You don't talk to your sister that way. You don't treat, you don't ever talk to your brother that way. That's part of domain. You got to help kids learn their place in life. 
A couple years ago, Beyonce and Jennifer Garner tried to start this little hashtag, don't call them bossy thing, because they, they both had daughters the same age, I guess, and they didn't like how people were telling them their kids were bossy. Well, I'm telling you what, if your daughter's bossy, she's bossy. Spank her and discipline her. So they tried to launch this movement. They're not bossy. That's future leadership. That ain't future leadership. That's a brat. And I, I, I get tickled because the movement went nowhere because the rest of Hollywood was like, oh, no, we're not. No, we love you, Beyonce. We love you, Jennifer Garner. You guys are great. But no, this is stupid. Your kids are brats. Beat them. But if you don't teach their, your kids their place, they're going to grow up to be know-it-alls. They're going to try to correct everybody when they haven't earned the right to even correct themselves yet. Nobody likes a know-it-all and God won't promote one. So how about you just shut up? Amen. Nobody likes that. Those of you that are homeschooled, don't be that. And if you're homeschooling your kids, try to have it as organized as possible. Have desks, have a little chairs, have a station. Don't let them learn like some hippie at some commune somewhere upside down, hanging from a monkey bar, reading English. Let them learn like a human being. Well, my kid's just a free spirit. No, you're a lazy parent. Harness that spirit. Or we'll cast it out one day. Let's have some discipline. I mean, look at the Lord Jesus. Everything was systematic and in order. He sat him down, rows, 50s, 10s. Kids were here. Kid on my lap, one at a time. He's, they're not crawling all over him as a prayer line. It, everything's organized. There's order. God's not the author of confusion. So coming back to the bigger picture, you've got to learn the domains because all of your promotion in life will be based upon you learning your domain and recognizing what you're authorized to do in that domain. If you fail it, Somebody else will get your domain. A poverty mindset. Let me change it up a little bit. Maybe we can do questions and answers next week because we're almost out of time. A poverty mindset develops when you fail to understand domain and authorization. So poverty doesn't really have anything to do with a dollar amount. I've been to some very poor countries in the world. They didn't have a poverty mindset. But poverty is when you fail to recognize your domain and you fail to recognize what you're supposed to do there. And so you have a nice apartment but if you have a poverty mindset, it'll be trashed. Uh, we went to, me and Miss Danielle made a house call to visit somebody she's working with yesterday. And it's kind of an older apartment. Um, had newly, new floors. But this lady went in there. She, she's just kind of coming to some things. I would classify her as a poor person by economic standard. But her house, her apartment was immaculate. Everything in its place. Everything organized. It smelled clean in there. She had next to nothing in the world, but it was immaculate. Poverty fails to recognize its domain, and when it does, it doesn't know what to do with it. That's why you'll see a trailer, not against a house trailer, take care of it. A house trailer, and they're not sure if I have an acre or 17.8 acres because their trash is every direction, and none of it's finished. It's on cinder blocks, not against cinder blocks as long as you're working on it, but you only need so many John Deere old tractors on cinder blocks. And a trailer only needs so many possums living under it because you neglected to put the fencing up, the soffit. Poverty fails to recognize what it's supposed to do where it's at. And then what it wants is the government to come along and absorb them under their domain and then tell them what to do. That's slavery. You get your check this time each month, and these are your benefits that we give you, and aren't you thankful for us? And all you have to do is stay at home and vote for us. 
We'll take care of you. That's not freedom. That's bondage. But that's poverty mindset. Neglect your authorization and you'll be derelict in your duties. Exceed your domain and you'll overstep your boundaries. So it's one thing to know your domain in life, but do you know what you're supposed to be doing there? It's another thing to know your authorization, but do you know where you're supposed to do it? We used the example last week of your job. You're authorized to do what you do on your job. You're not authorized to do what you do on somebody else's job. When I worked at Lowe's, I was authorized to work in inside lawn and garden, not outside, not plumbing, not housewares. And I wasn't authorized to do inside lawn and gardening at the Crossville store or the Lebanon store. I was only authorized at my store. I knew my authorization and I knew my domain. As a pastor, I know what my domain is. I know what my authorization is. When I go to other churches, my authorization totally changes because I'm in a different domain. I don't preach to other churches like I do you. You're my church family. I thump you because I got to live with you and I got to fix your messes before they become bigger messes. Sometimes I just think I'm going to preach so hard they're going to go away and that will solve the mess. Hmm. But I don't te talk, uh, teach or t uh, preach that way in other churches. It's not my domain. It's not my authorization. I usually go in there and I just teach. I really don't even lay hands on people in other churches. I just, my gifting, my, my grace, my lane is to teach. I come in, I teach whatever doctrine they want me to teach. I let the word of God do its work and then I leave. That's my job. But if you don't know your authorization, you'll be overstepping. You'll be a bull in a china shop. And that expression is made for the fool who does not know their domain or their authorization. So they just wreak havoc everywhere they go. Bulls are awesome, not in china shops. Must be a racist bull because he doesn't like Chinese stuff. <laughs> so you figure out what your domains are in life. Because right now I'll tell you what they are. If you want to write them down in case you didn't know. They're your soul, number one. That's your number one domain, and number two is your body. Those are the two things you and only you can control, and you should be yielding both of them to God. What does God want your mind to do? Be renewed, bring into captivity every thought, meditate on God. It's pretty simple. Cast down vain imaginations. Don't let any perverse thoughts dwell in there. And then your second domain is your body. Take care of your body. I've told you I don't care what you look like. just want you to be healthy. What does that look like for you? Everybody's got to do something different. Take care of your body. Be an example to the believer of what a healthy body looks like. You get one body, it's a stewardship. You're going to answer to God for whether you finished your race or you limped across the line. Take care of your body. We're not against medicine. Thank God for it. Take it till you don't need it anymore. Amen. So then your next domain is going to be your family or your friendships because those are the closest to you. If you're married, that's your spouse, that's your marriage covenant. That's your domain. You're authorized to protect it, to guard it, to keep it. You're not authorized to make fun of them, tear them down, say such demonic things as, I should have never married you. That's demonic. That's just as demonic as saying, Allah, come possess my body. When you say, I should have mar never married you, maybe we should get divorced, you're just as much inviting a demon into your life as Allah, come possess me. I want to worship you. Oh, moon god of Ishtar. <laughs> so your, your marriage, if you're married, or if you're at home, your relationship with your parents. You don't get to just jump ship. You have to cultivate and maintain that relationship. If you're married with kids, then, then the other 
dominion you have is your family. So you got to take care of your kids and then you got to be teaching them. Only have as many kids as you're willing to give time to. We don't have a doctrine of Duggar around here. It's a lunacy of a doctrine to say, well, we're going to have as many babies as God gives us. Well, the man's sperm is a million or two every shot, and the woman has 200,000 eggs. Can her uterus handle 2,000 pregnancies? She can honestly be pregnant every other year from the time she's 12 to the time she's 54. Nobody's designed to have 36 kids, or whatever the math works out to be. Your guts will fall out. Furthermore, wisdom says you only have as many as you have the grace and the wisdom and the time and the money to parent. Which gets us into the subject of welfare. Welfare is a total mess. And if, you're, if our government is raising your kids, you need to get your act together. If my tax dollars feed your kids, you better have two jobs and show some respect, show some responsibility. People on welfare, generally speaking, neglect their domain and have trashed their authorization. And they want me to keep my domain and my authorization so they can keep having their money and their wick. And I'm not against it if you qualify for real reasons, but laziness isn't one of them. So you have as many kids as God gives you grace for. It isn't 2.5. Might be three, might be four, might be five. If the mother's health is in danger, you don't just keep squirting out kids like a Pez dispenser. Fix something. Amen. Be responsible. And by the way, if you're never home to parent them, somebody else is parenting them. So then your next domain is going to be your job or your full-time work in the earth. If you're a student, it's being a student. If you're employed, it's being on the job. If you're a stay-at-home mom, it's caring for the house. Either way, every human being has a full-time labor in the garden called life. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you don't wake up at 9 o'clock, lounge around in your slippers, drinking protein shakes till three, then go pick up the kids and then finally put some clothes on at four. That's pretty shiftless too. What'd you accomplish? If you're a stay-at-home mom and your kids are grown, build the kingdom. Yeah, build something other than what? God gives every one of us something in life that is a garden that we are to tend and guard and cultivate till he returns. What is it? your kids are grown, go get a part-time job and influence the world around you. Make some extra money. Don't do it for the money. Do it because you'll be around people and you can give them the gospel. This is why retirees retire from 50 years in an industry and they're like, ah, I've still got another 15 years in me. I'm going to go work somewhere. And you see these wonderful senior citizens everywhere, Chick-fil-A or Walmart or Lowe's doing better work than a 21-year-old Zoomer. Stronger than a 21-year-old Zoomer not as socially awkward as a 21-year-old Zoomer, can make eye contact once they get close enough. <laughs> figure out what your domain is. Figure out what your authorization is because that authorization comes to you to master that domain. And if you're wondering why your life is going nowhere, if it's going nowhere, it's, I guarantee it's because you are failing one domain or another 
or three or four. And you'll never go anywhere by the hand of God without mastering domains. Master your marriage. Master one kid before the second kid comes. Master $50,000 a year before God gives you sixty-five. Master taking care of a dump car before you go spend money you don't have on a car that's brand new. Because if you can't take care of a used car, you won't take care of a new car. Because new cars are just like old cars, but more expensive, and you hate getting dings on them. Take care of an apartment before you drop a big wad of cash on a house. Learn how to care for a house. Learn how to change filters on an air unit on a house. Learn how to vacuum a ha- an apartment before you buy a house. Learn in the small things. Master domains when they're little. Remember, God told Israel, I'm not going to drive out the inheritance of the land I promised to give you. I'm not going to drive it out overnight. I'm going to give it to you little by little. That is how the promotions of God work. You learn to master things little by little by little. And as you master things, God gives you new things. And as you master more, he gives you more. You don't despise the day of small beginnings. You master the day of small beginnings and you say, all right, praise God. I think I'm ready for promotion. Everything I've got is mastered. Everything I've got, every T is crossed, every I is dotted, every lowercase J is dotted. Everything's immaculate. What's next, Lord? I can do this in half a day. I need to be stretched, Lord. Give me something. Stretch me. And he will stretch you and you'll say, oh, 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 uh, I wish I I hadn't prayed that. But then you get stretched and you think, well, that's not so bad. Dr. Barclay warns us preachers of this because it's the other end of the spectrum. Preachers are typically very driven, which is why they're in ministry. You don't ever get into ministry unless you have a drive about you because you got to steer sheep. And that's a lot of work and exhausting. If you're lazy, don't ever worry about seeing ministry because you never will. If you're always just kind of like, don't, don't, which way did they go? Never going to see ministry, no matter how great the anointing, because it takes a lot of work. So Dr. Barclay kind of warns us preachers in private. He says, walk, excuse me, crawl as long as you can crawl. That's the other end of the spectrum. He said, because once you start walking, they're never going to let you crawl again. And then he says, walk for absolutely as long as you can walk for. Because if you ever speed up to a jog, God's never going to let you walk again. And then jog for as long as you can. Don't be eager to get big. Don't be eager to do anything more than you should. Because once you start running, they'll never let you jog again. That's what he tells driven preachers. Because you can get so far ahead of yourself, you just trip and fall. That's where you want to be as a Christian, where you're having to be restrained. We're trying to help folks, especially in our region, that's kind of lazy and kind of poor and kind of negligent. Master these domains so God can stretch you. And every time you take a step up, it will be a stretch. And you'll think, my goodness, what am I going to do? You're going to call to God. He's going to help you. You're going to master this. And you're going to make an impact for Jesus in the earth. As long as you're comfortable in life, you're not serving God. Because he's always going to stretch you with the next domain. He's always going to stretch you with with the next authorization. That's always going to be authorized to bring more peace and more glory and more organization. If you're comfortable, you're probably not serving God like he wants you to. Because when you serve God, you're being stretched. And when you're serving God, there's always another promotion breaking out somewhere. He's always trusting you with a little bit more. Amen?